In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant, Lord, that we may honor you with all our mind and love others in truth of heart. Amen. The season of confessions, first confessions, is upon us. Yesterday we started with the, the first wave of second graders making their first confessions, and they were wonderful, sweet, and sincere, and if it turns out to be like previous years, then we can expect in the near future to hear high-pitched confessions beginning with, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, this is my second confession, and this is my third confession, um, which is a lovely thing. I, I tend not to, I try not to correct people on their penance procedure uh, early on in their confessing careers um, because it's, uh, um, well, A, it's cute, but secondly, it, it's, I don't want to you know, disturb anyone too much or rattle their cage. The most common uh, adorable mistake is they come in and immediately start with the act of contrition because they're just so pleased that they know it, they want to show off that they know the act of contrition. Or maybe in their mind that's the hardest part. They just want to get the, you know, get the hardest part over with quickly. Um, so I'll let them, I might let them go a few months or even a few years before I tell them, by the way, we usually leave that for the end of the confession, not the beginning of the confession. So, um, so pray for them and all others who are going to be making their, their first confession uh, soon. It's a beautiful time because we are uh, overwhelmed and grateful uh, when we've been absolved and received that sacramental grace. And it's easy for us to to think and even feel or think that we feel our soul being you know, perfectly healed and everything being set right in the world. And in many respects, that can be the case because um, what we've done is um, so easily repaired. Um, as we get older, as you know, that gets complicated. Well, we've also uh, heard lots of confessions or apologies at least from the governor of the Commonwealth these last few days. Um, he, now, he didn't apologize for publicly supporting a bill that would legalize the killing of newborn babies, no. Um, if you, in case you haven't heard about that, the bishop wanted us to be sure to share with you his statement uh, about the governor, and we're doing so electronically. Um, but to summarize uh, earlier in the week, um, in a radio interview, the governor spoke favorably about a bill from a Fairfax delegate, the delegate acknowledging in video that her bill would permit an abortion even when a mother is in the process of giving birth. So on the air, the governor said, quote, in this particular example, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly what would happen. The infant would be delivered. The infant would be kept comfortable the infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired, and then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother, unquote. With frightening um, calmness, the governor is describing infanticide, which is utterly, horribly reprehensible. 
it's not unheard of in human history. Ancient Greeks, ancient Romans, ancient Romans did that from time to time, which is why they needed to be conquered by Christianity. It's hard to imagine that someone who speaks favorably of this isn't immediately expelled from polite society. Now, we know there are many things that will get someone expelled from polite society or force them to resign. It's hard for a week or two weeks to go by without a politician or an athlete or a celebrity, an actor of some sort, CEO, who isn't forced out of public life for some significant failing. Why isn't speaking favorably about the killing of newborn babies on the list of things that get you immediately expelled? My concern about some of our uh, Christians in public life um, who have been commenting on the situation is that they seem to ask people only to be more attentive and more prayerful about what's going on. Failing to realize that the bill did die in committee by one vote, and that this bill has been brought forth year after year. It's not new. And that the people who supported it doubled down on Thursday and said they will continue to pursue the repeal of every law that restricts abortion in Virginia. There was no change of heart that resulted in this bill dying in committee. And there's no change of heart on the part of those who failed. In fact, the exact opposite. They're only more confident if they are not made to suffer politically, personally, publicly, for expressing things that are utterly horrible. Now, after having a few days to think about it, did the governor apologize? Uh, no. Uh, in fact, he, he pushed back. Uh, on Wednesday, he said, quote, I have devoted my life to caring for children, and any insinuation otherwise is shameful and disgusting, unquote. This is the typical kind of assertion of uh, personal holiness that uh, public figures make frequently, and it usually works because uh, it forces people to call them out as being dishonest. Uh, but in fact, one cannot claim to be caring for all children uh, when someone does not care that newborn children ought to be able to live uh, and not be murdered. Meanwhile, the Fairfax delegate who introduced the bill also expressed dismay that there was such a um, backlash. She was supposed to have a town hall yesterday, and the bishop, thankfully, and many others, encouraged the faithful to attend the Fairfax delegates' town hall. Such a large group was expected that the town hall meeting was canceled. Um, but the pro-life rally still took place nevertheless. But again, it's not a victory. It's merely the potential beginning of an effort uh, to force those kinds of opinions out of public life in Virginia. 
Otherwise, we'll be back to a situation that more resembles ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Now, there were apologies, of course, and retractions, but then further apologies that the governor made yesterday and the day before that, the day before that. They really do deserve extended commentary. All I'm going to say about them is that it made him sound like a bad, corrupt bishop, and I take no pleasure in saying that. Not every bishop is bad and corrupt, but he sounded like the worst of them. And it surely will be fodder for Saturday Night Live. Apparently, Saturday Night Live was not live last night, so you can look forward to that next Saturday. Now, confession, you may know, is not just an apology or a confession of guilt. Classically, when the the church speaks of confessions, she speaks of those who profess the faith under persecution, who are made to suffer because of their profession of faith. And then they're not simply professing the faith, they're confessing the faith. Some of the more famous confessors, St. Maximus, who sounds like the, right, the Romans had their way with him, St. Basil the Confessor. In the Western world, the most famous confessor is St. Edward the Confessor, right, the English king. Now is the time for us to not just profess the faith and say, I really do happen to think this is true, but to confess the faith. To do so boldly, knowing that there will be consequences for us, knowing that our our careers will suffer, uh, our number of friends will diminish. And we do so not because there are uh, rules, rules that we can't violate. It's not as though Christ came into the world to give us uh, the same set of rules, but, but say, I really mean it this time. But what did he reveal? These rules, the Ten Commandments, for instance, can be summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Love your neighbors yourself. Eventually, because of his own life, death, and resurrection, When he teaches at the end of the Last Supper, love one another as I have loved you, he makes it even that much more clear that all of these laws have to do with truly loving others, loving them more than you love yourself, to love and respect and to honor God, to love and respect and honor each other. And to make clear that because of his love of us, because of his death and resurrection, every sin can be forgiven. And so this is the the beauty of, uh, of a modern confession. One of the greatest messages that we need to send the world, not only is that the Catholic Church has the best rules, but that the the Christian faith is, is, is the way of love. And to love others and to love God above all else results in in this way of life. It is an ordered, coherent way of life and way of understanding the world. And it includes the possibility of mercy, the possibility of being forgiven. And we we will be hated because we will encourage people to seek forgiveness, to not give up hope, even though what they've done has harmed themselves and harmed others and has caused suffering. They will not want to hear that they can be forgiven. 
for those believers and for those former believers who realize that what they've done has resulted in things that cannot be fixed and lives that have lost that cannot, um, that cannot come back in this world. They also need to know that all is not lost. The Lord still loves us. We still belong to him, no matter what we have done. Cain was marked by the Lord, and he belonged to the Lord, so that he was not simply ripe for others' vengeance. Even when we know that we've lost an opportunity or something that could have been can't be anymore, it doesn't mean that that we are forsaken. The Lord is eager for us to return. He's eager to, to extend his forgiveness to us. To offer that message of, of love and to extend that invitation to mercy means that we are also seeking it out ourselves. And we can understand that, that sometimes people hesitate even to be healed because it requires humility. So we ask you, Lord, to grant us that we may honor you with all our mind and to love others in truth of heart. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.